All right, as you return to your seats, why don't you grab out your Bibles? We're going to head to the book of James. James chapter 1. You can turn there in your Bibles, you can grab your devices. We love the scriptures, we love God's word. Not just because it means we can preach sermons, give up 20 minutes of our time to listen to someone up the front share a few thoughts, but because the Word of God has power. It has power not just to give us information, but to bring about transformation. And that's why we come, not just for knowledge, but to allow God to speak to us, to do whatever he desires to do in our hearts. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for these moments that we spend gathering, not around a sermon, not even around someone's thoughts, but these moments that we gather around your very word. Thank you that your word is God-breathed and that it is able to accomplish all that you send it forth to do. So I simply pray that you give us listening ears this day. You give us a heart that seeks to know and to grab a hold of all that you say to us. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that you're here even now at work in our midst, at work in each of our hearts and lives personally, even maybe some of those who don't know you yet. I pray for every single one of us that you would open up our eyes, in a greater way to see and to behold the majesty and the power and the might and the unfathomable love of our eternal God. Stir our hearts, speak to us, change us. Just don't leave us as we are, we pray, for the glory of your name, King Jesus. Amen. Well, we've begun a sermon series, we're going to spend some time, as long as it takes, in the book of James. And we set the scene last week, we talked a little bit about who James was, the title of the series is Bold Living, because there's two words or themes that jump out to me every time I read this book. And the first one is the boldness of James. I mean, he was not a wallflower, he was not afraid to speak the truth. And he was after a people with a bold faith, sometimes so bold that his writings can be a little controversial. Shouldn't we be a little bit more about the love and the grace? It's there, but it's there packaged or surrounded by this unfettered boldness. And we're going to get there. But not only is it a book of boldness, it's it's a book of practical living. It's a book about life. We talked last time about James, who he was, where he came from, his own journey of wrestling. We believe from what we read in scriptures that he was an unbeliever, probably for a large portion of his life, and he came to faith. We believe perhaps because he witnessed the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. As we said, that's going to change some things if you meet a dead person, if you see the the nail wounds in his hands. That's going to change your perspective. It's going to mess with your thinking. But he then becomes one of the central figures, one of the leading figures in the church at Jerusalem. 
The apostle Paul talks about him. Peter talks about him. They all knew this guy. And he played a central, if not the central role in the church at the time. But he came from this place of unbelief. And so his book is is about real people dealing with real issues and coming to real faith in a real saviour. And that's how he begins at verse 2, just by way of review. He begins with all believers' favourite verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Who loves that verse? You've got it on your fridge. Count it all joy. Keep smiling. Praise God. Another trial. But he doesn't leave it there. He says in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's how he begins his writing. Other books that we've studied, you know, Peter and certainly Paul, they often begin with this rich theology about Jesus and who he is and the power of the cross and his mercy and his blood. Wonderful. John tends to always begin his writings a little mystically, a little poetically. You know, it's rhythmic. feel like he could sing it. We could get Adam to write a song about it. It's just poetic. It's wonderful. Whereas James, he begins, he says, Hi, I'm James, and we're going to talk about life and life. See, there can be a tendency at times we think of what it means to be a believer. We say, well, you believe in Jesus, and then you go to heaven. And that's great. That's wonderful. But we forget about this. There's a few details in the middle. This little thing called life. There's some journeys, and there's some processes to go through. And so last time, we unpacked this reality that life is process. There's this picture of life as a process. And these processes are not just blips on the radar. This is the radar. He's effectively saying, James, here, he's saying, look, if you thought you signed up to a pleasure cruise, this side of eternity, then you were reading the wrong travel brochure. (laughs) Let me give you a more accurate view of life. There's going to be some stuff. There's going to be various trials, some big, some small, but you're not here just to sit back and to soak up the pleasure. You're here to allow the process to have its full effect. Testing of your faith, producing steadfastness, steadfastness having its effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness. So there's one aspect of this that we didn't cover last time. And it's these four words in verse 4. And then I want to launch into what I would like us to focus on this morning. So we've seen there is a process. That's as far as we got. And verse 4, James says very clearly, he says, Let steadfastness, or let's, let this process have its full effect. Let it have its full effect. See, there's a process, and there's nothing that we can do to avoid processes. That would be nice. Who would take that ticket? Lord says, would you like to go through this or around it? I'll take around it. Every day of the week. But James is saying, no, there's trials, but there is a choice that we have to let or to not let it have its full effect. 
And part of the problem, I believe, is that we live lives that are geared intrinsically towards convenience. My wife and I were having a discussion yesterday. She knew I was coming into town for the men's breakfast, which was great, by the way. Men get along to the next men's event we have. And she said, well, given that you're going into town, we live a little bit out of town, she said, can you pick up some groceries? And then she paused. She said, actually, you're not going to know where to look for them at all. So here's what I'll do. I'll click and collect them. True story. She said, I'll just log on and I'll select all the things that I want. And then all you need to do is you can rock up to the supermarket and they'll be there ready to go. Who's tried click and collect? If you haven't, you're welcome. Your life is about to be changed forever. No more searching through supermarkets for things that I've never heard of. Any man been there? Is this in the baby aisle or the food aisle? Thank you. I've got one fan over there. Where do I find this? Is this edible or is it something else? You see, the problem, though, is so often we believe in a gospel or a kingdom or a life and we want the click and collect. I want the button that I can click so that I can just rock up. And here's the thing about click and collect. How amazing is this? I didn't tell you this part. She clicks it and I don't even have to go into the shop. There's a phone number you call and they meet me at my car. How amazing is that? I load the groceries in my car and then I'm off. This is fantastic. Where do I sign up? There is this, this, this hardwired nature, this predisposition that we have to avoid processes for convenience. The problem is, and this is my premise that I want us to get across, is that everything that's truly worth anything involves process. And that process nearly always involves an element of cost, an element of discomfort. You see, let's look, we, we had a, a baby dedication. We've had a few the last few weeks. I think that's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of how God loves processes. I mean, he gives us nine months to get ready. It feels like you could probably use 90 months if my experience is anything to go by, except that your poor wife probably wouldn't make it through. <laughs> Nine's long enough. That analogy didn't work so well. Looks from the front row. But there's a necessary process. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. It's tiring. And yet it's so incredibly precious and necessary. Isn't it? And though the sorrow may last for the night, the joy comes in the morning. See, what happens if we try and get out of things prematurely? What happens if we try and abort the processes? Because that's what I believe we do so often. If I can't click and collect it, forget about it. Everything in the kingdom is worth waiting for, but it's going to come with a process. So there's a process. James has said, we covered that last time, and we need to learn what it means for us to allow this process to have its full effect. And so what James is going to do now is he's going to give us some keys and I believe these are some of the most vital keys, certainly in seasons of difficulty and seasons of process, but in any season of life. Let's read on. Verse 5. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be, not might be, it's not possibility, this is 
a definitive, and it will be given to him. Let's unpack that. So the first thing James says is when you're in the midst of the process, and we've said we're always in the midst of some sort of process, but whenever you need, if ever you lack, if that's me, that's probably if ever I don't lack, because I'm always in need of wisdom. But he said, don't worry, you can ask. If ever you're in need of wisdom, ask God and he will give freely, willingly, generously, and it will be given. So I want to talk about wisdom, and James is going to talk about wisdom a lot as we go through this little letter, but particularly here he's talking about wisdom in the midst of the process, wisdom in the midst of the stuff. How does that play out? See, I believe wisdom is the great gift of God, but it's also our great need. If you want to be able to boldly live, if you want to live a bold life, if you want to live well and effectively, one thing that you need, and probably we could suggest even more than some of the others that James will cover, because it's top of the list for him, one of them certainly is wisdom. So first of all, let me give you a definition. If you like definitions, you can write it down. If you don't, you can ignore it, and I'll let you know when to wake up and we'll continue on. This is, I believe, a helpful definition of what wisdom is. It's the ability to judge or to see correctly. That's the first part. To judge or see correctly. And the second part is to then follow the right course of action. So first of all, it's the ability to see, to judge correctly. Then as a result of clearly seeing, it is the ability to follow the right course of action. See, wisdom is practical. Knowledge says this is what it is. Wisdom says this is what you need to do with it. Knowledge says this is facts and ideas. Wisdom gives us discernment and insight. I would suggest that we live our lives saturated with knowledge, overloaded by information, but so often we live lives that are starved of wisdom. And what you need in a trial more than ever is you need wisdom. You're walking around with a broken leg, you don't need another person to come and say, oh, did you know your leg's broken? Thank you very much. What you need to know is what do you do if your leg is broken? What do I do? Where do I go? What is this all about? So let me give you just a simple illustration. Hopefully this will help. If not, as always with my illustrations, you can leave it behind. But I have always been someone, and let me say in advance, it's, it's another gym illustration. Is that all right? Is that okay? Just. You can let me know at the end. But I've, I've always liked to keep myself reasonably fit and done a variety of different um, active exercises. But in recent times, I've realized I have a tendency to be lazy. I know that's like none of you. I'm a great starter, but I'm a hopeless finisher. And so I thought, with my exercise, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get some personal training and get involved in some classes where there's somebody there who can stay on my back and actually keep me accountable to the workouts that I'm doing. So about three weeks ago, I signed up at a local gym just around the corner in Fishwick that offers some different classes. They do boxer size, great class. They do some other weightlifting. And they do this particular course that's, its acronym is H-I-I-T. Anyone heard of that? Yeah. It's called High Impact Intensity Training, something along those kind of lines. 
You could easily spell it H-U-R-T, not I-I-T. Hit classes, because it is incredibly painful. And you know you're in trouble when you rock up for a class and they do a full health assessment. The trainer there, who looked like a younger version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think he'd swallowed a bus, he was as wide as he was tall, and he said, look, you're new to the class, have you got any health issues, can I take your, your pulse, your blood pressure, any other medical history we need to know about? And then I began the class, and this is, this is no joke, this is how it happened, I went and picked up some weights. If you don't know what it is, it's just a variety of activities, they got you doing all sorts of strange things on strange contraptions involving weights. So I picked up some weights, and he looked at me and laughed. He did, genuinely, he laughed. He said, mate, are you here to look good or to work out? And I thought to myself, I wonder if that's a multiple choice question. Is it possible to do a bit of both? So I got through this class and it was, no exaggeration, it was incredibly painful. And you know you move past pain to the point where you just can't feel anything. I'm like, I would be in pain if I could feel my legs. And he said to me at the end, he said, how are you doing? I said, I can't feel anything. He said, perfect, great job. No pain, no gain, see you next week. And then off he walked. And the crazy thing was, the next week, I did exactly the same course. I went back and did it all again. I mean, what sort of insanity is that? And it got a good one, thank you. But you see, it got me thinking, it's so interesting, isn't it? The difference between knowledge and wisdom, and this is the point, this is the emphasis, and this is what we need to grab, because knowledge says in that circumstance, I'm in the middle of a torture chamber. It says everything in here is designed for maximum pain. This is going to hurt. This is going to be incredibly painful. And in those moments where we only have knowledge, what's, what's our response? You're not going to stay there, are you? Who in their right mind would stay there? You're going to run or you're going to resist. We've got two places where knowledge alone is involved. We run out the door or we resist. We say, I'm not picking that up. Are you kidding me? You pick it up yourself. You know, like, who do you think you are telling me what to do? We resist. We fight. Rather than allowing the process to have its full effect. See, knowledge says... This is going to hurt. Wisdom discerns and sees things correctly. First of all, it says there's a bigger picture here. There's actually more going on than just these exercises, these weights. There's, there's a bigger picture. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like crazy. There's going to be some stuff. But actually, you're going to end up at the end feeling good. And I can tell you the second time that I went through, I felt a lot better at the end. I was only half numb rather than fully numb than the first time. Because the process was having its full effect. But also, not only is there a bigger picture, but there is a person who will guide me through. Now, I know in that gym example, it's not perfect. But he did care for me on some level. Like, he at least cared that I didn't die so that I couldn't <laughs> sue him. There was some, at least, duty of care there. That's right. Whereas James is saying the picture is far more wonderful. Not only is there a process, but there's the person of Christ with you, in you. He said he's in you. The Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you. The love of the Father is going to give you wisdom. So there is a process. 
and it's going to hurt. There's going to be some painful times. I wish I could preach a sermon and stand up in front of us all and say, you know what, Christianity is a pleasure cruise. It just is. We're going to sit on a boat. We're going to drink pina coladas. We're going to sail the seven seas together as a family and just have many wonderful adventures together. But that's not the reality of the gospel, is it? It's a people in process together. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some hardship. But we do it together. God is with us and the result far outweighs the pain. And I don't mean to in any way try and belittle whatever circumstance you might go be going through at this moment or you might be going through in the near future. You think, well, you're just talking about a gym experience. I know. But the principles remain the same. And here's the point that I want us to get across. I think so often we get stuck on the knowledge without ever moving to the wisdom. What's the first question that anybody asks, and it's a normal expected response, when you're in the middle of something to God? What's the first question? Why me? Why? Why? We're looking for answers. We're looking for the short-term reality. You know, The problem with that is, that's not a bad question to ask, but if that's the only question that we ask, often there is no satisfying answer. Why? Well, it's going to hurt and you're going to lift it up and it's going to be painful, but why? Well, in the immediate, there is no satisfying answer apart from wisdom. And the problem is that we get stuck in this cycle of why. And if we're stuck in the cycle of why, it always leads us to two places. Either we resist or we run. We run away. We say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Or we resist against the process. I need answers. And God says, trust me. So we said last time, we say, well, tell me what's going to happen, and then I'll tell you if I trust you or not. That defeats the purpose. Whereas wisdom gives us the capacity to see and to trust and then to move with God in the right direction to allow the process to have its full working effect in our hearts. See, we've got to be so careful, so easy in a world. I was thinking about this just on a broader scale, this is a whole nother sermon, but just in the midst of the, the terrible tragedy that happened in New Zealand. Terrible tragedy. And every time something unspeakable seems to happen like that, there's always people looking to blame. It's the first thing. And I don't know, I don't even want to mention names, but as soon as it happens, someone's, well, it's, we're going to blame this person. And then someone else is going to blame this person. And someone else is going to blame. And we're looking for someone to hate. The response is hate. And then as soon as we want to hate someone, the walls go up and we build barricades. And we resist the resistors and the resistors resist the resist. And it's just this convoluted mess of fear and hate and judgment. And it's exactly what Jesus came to break through. He says, I've come to show you that there is another way. You don't need to resist and you don't need to run. He came to rescue and he came to redeem. And he says, I've come and I'll take all of your pain, all of your sin, all of your struggle, 
so that you can stand in the midst of the process. And not only do we get to know the redemption, and the mercy and the love that he gives to us, but we get to share that with others and stand in the midst of the hate and the stuff and the hurt and the process and the junk and be instruments of healing and hope and mercy and peace. What a privilege that is and how needed that is for us in this day and age. What do we need? We don't need more knowledge. We're so overloaded with knowledge. We've got more knowledge than we know what to do with, but we desperately need wisdom. You need wisdom in the midst of your circumstances. We need wisdom as a church, our church, to face the things before us. The church as a whole, the people of God, we need wisdom desperately. We're starved from wisdom. And things change when we move and we live from a place not of knowledge, not of resisting and running, but of wisdom that sees clearly and knows the path forward. So there's only one disclaimer. Let me just, the wind's blowing my Bible closed. One more thought and then we'll bring this to a close. Because we've covered one verse. Let's try and do two at least this morning. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. But, verse 6 says, there's a disclaimer here. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's one disclaimer. We need wisdom. And God's saying, ask me for wisdom. I won't judge you. Without reproach, it says, I will give generously. I will pour it out. It will be given. This is my heart for you. But if you dare to ask for wisdom, do so without doubting. What does he mean? Well, Proverbs 3, verse 5, 7, wonderful passage. It says this. This is the essence of what James is saying. It says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, I've discovered something so critical that we cannot be trusting and leaning at the same time. Sooner or later, one has to outweigh the other. Are we truly going to trust God? Or are we going to trust, but still try and just lean a little? Just try and figure things out a little bit. Like, okay, God, or how many times, I can't tell you how many times I hear believers say, well, no, I trust God. I believe everything in the Bible just apart from those couple of passages and books of the Bible and those tricky things. It's like we want to have a foot in each camp. James saying it doesn't work. You're going to be tossed like the waves. It's one way or another. You do it God's way or you do it your way. Whatever you do, I cannot tell you how frustrating it is when you have kids as they get older and they exert their will a little bit, they come to you and they say, Dad, what do you think about this? X or Y? And I say, well, sweetheart, it's X. And let me tell you why. I've lived a little longer than you. I've got a few bits of wisdom to impart. Say, thanks, Dad. Well, I'm going to go and do Y. Any, any parent had that? 
Oh, I tell you, I tell you. You cannot trust and lean at the same time. You cannot look for answers for yourself and for others and seek God's divine wisdom. The two are mutually exclusive. Look at poor old Job. He had everybody around him offering every single opinion under the sun. And how useful was it on a scale of 1 to 10? It wasn't until God spoke and wisdom came that finally there was the answer that Job sought. So oh, finally there is the perspective that we need. And the good news is that the right answer is always available at the hand of God if we would just be willing to ask. I want us to pray. Put your Bibles away. Say someone to come and play keys. And there's a simple altar call this morning, but very simply, if you're in a place in your life specifically and you're hearing this message and you know you need wisdom, it might be for a circumstance, it might be for a situation, it might be for something that's happened to you or stuff that you've made a mess of yourself. But if you know that you need wisdom, I'd encourage you to come forward and receive prayer. There's a prayer team who would love to pray for you. And the first step is simply just acknowledging that you need it. You can't figure this out on your own. The knowledge, all the knowledge and information of humanity is never going to provide the answers that you need. It's only ever the wisdom that comes from God. So if that's you, that's the altar call this morning. Let me pray for all of us, though, before I invite you forward. Father, just thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for all that it is that you're desiring to do in each one of our hearts. And I simply pray that we would respond to you today. That even in this moment, we would ask you a simple question. God, what are you saying to me today? Maybe there's an issue of trust there. Maybe there's a propensity to avoid process. Maybe some of us know that we are so good at running. Or maybe it's resisting. The moment anything comes, there we are kicking and screaming. Whatever it might be, Lord, I thank you that you are the answer to all of our questions and that you already have the provision for all that we need. So just come Holy Spirit, I pray, and do what you desire to do in each of our hearts and lives. We ask that in Jesus' name.